All right, welcome to A Man's Voice. We're recording live today from Dash Studios here in beautiful Hollywood, California. I want to welcome all of our listeners all around the country and around the world as well. Um, we're very excited for our first show here live in Dash Studios. Um, we have a very distinguished guest um, panel of um, gentlemen today. We're going to talk about topics all the way from politics to um, things going on, wrong, going on in the world and just things going on in general, basically. So we hope you enjoyed today's show. I'm going to start by letting my panels introduce themselves one by one, uh, starting with Mr. Dan. Dan, how you doing? Tell I'm the audience good. who you are. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Hi, uh, everybody. My name is Dan Martin. I'm an actor. I live here in Los Angeles. I'm based in Los Angeles. I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Proud son of the Steelers. All right, go Steelers, baby. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to be here today. Thanks right. for inviting me. Thank you for coming, Dan. And we also have, um, it's an honor to have a Mr. Frank McKinney. Mr. Frank McKinney is a retired um, military man, and I'll let him take it from there and explain who he is. How you doing, Frank? Sure. My name is Frank, and uh, I spent about 31 years in the military. Retired as a Navy commander, submarines. And um, I did a career after that as a real estate broker uh, with some major franchises. I'm now retired, and I play my part as being a grandfather for two twins. So I'm, and my, my interest is making sure they come out to be good citizens. From Compton, California, straight out of Compton. All right. Congratulations on being a grandpa, man. Thank yes. you. Thank you for coming, Mr. Frank. And we also have, all the way from Atlanta, Georgia, uh, my brother from another mother, I like to call him, Mr. Darius Glasgow. Darius, tell the people who you are about yourself. Hey, uh, my name's Darius Glasgow. I uh, live in Atlanta, Georgia, originally from... South Carolina, low country, down on the uh, coast down there, uh, Gullah Geechee land. Um, I am um, a father, an entrepreneur. I uh, have six daughters. And, All right. Uh, sons, and um, just uh, I'm a Christian first and foremost. That's right. Lord, and I try to uh, instill um, good economic uh, habits and Christian traits in my children as well. That's right. Happy That's... to be here, Michael. Thank you so much. Man. Oh, man, it's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for coming out, man. And last but not least, we have the young man on the panel, I like to call him, because we like to get a young, uh, the younger generation's perspective of what's going on. So we have Mr. Soel. Soel, how you doing? Welcome for coming. And tell the audience who you are about yourself. Hello, everyone. My name is Soel Thompson. I'm from Los Angeles, California. I was born here. Uh, I live in Las Vegas, and it was a quite a journey to get down here, but I am enjoying every minute of it with all these fine gentlemen, and I look forward to what we're going to talk about today. Okay, well, sounds good. Thank you so much, Soel. All right, guys, let's jump right into this. Uh, we're going to start with the topic today. Um, I would like to start talking about just recently Joe Biden passed his um, $1.5 trillion infrastructure deal. Now, that deal was in Congress for three months. It passed, sent, it passed the Senate three months ago, but it was gridlocked because of the Democrats in the House. And for those who is your first time listening, I'm a proud Democrat. I'm a far-left liberal. I'm just start by saying that. But I was not happy with how they handled that. I was not happy that it took so long. I was not happy with the progressives and the infighting. So, and as a, as a liberal, I just feel like that's going to hurt us in the midterms. I think the Republicans are going to use that to run on in the midterms. So I'm going to throw it to the panel. I want to hear what you guys think about the infrastructure bill. Was it a good idea? Was it a bad bill? Is it adding to the debt? I just want to hear what are your thoughts on the infrastructure bill? Uh, I'm going to start with you, Mr. Darius Glasgow. What are your thoughts on that infrastructure bill Joe Biden um, just passed? Well, uh, I want to start off by saying that I'm, def I'm a uh, 
probably direct opposite of Michael. <laughs> I'm, I'm a conservative. I'm a proud conservative. Uh, uh, I think we share, whether he wants to admit it or not, we share uh, similar core values. Yes, we do. So, yes, uh, we do. But, uh, yeah, I think this infrastructure bill is a win for Joe Biden, but it's a temporary win because what it's going to do is what Michael just said. It's basically going to galvanize the Republican base. They're going to use it against them, but it also came with a high uh, toll because of what happened with the infighting, like you said. So now there's some dissension within the ranks, and that's going to be a problem because they're going to need to be unified going into the midterm elections. Republicans are going to tear them apart, though, because this bill, this infrastructure bill, is going to hurt the economy. We're already witnessing um, high inflation as it is now. The prices are going up on everything. Uh, unemployment is not moving up as quickly as they anticipated. And so when you take those factors and then you say, on top of that, we're going to burden the economy with another $2 trillion? Is it $2 or $3 trillion? Uh, the Build Back Better plan, what they're trying to get through, I think that's what you're referring to. Right. It's about another $2 trillion. Yeah. Yes. So, so I, I don't know. I'm not an economist, but it just seems pretty odd to me that you take a burden, I mean, you take a struggling economy, with high inflation, and then you tag on another $2 trillion, uh, that's basically, it's going to stagnate the economy, it's going to hurt the country, and it's going to hurt poor and middle class people uh, the worst. Okay. I, I mean, me personally, once again, as a liberal on this panel, I think it's a great thing, and I think the Republicans are just going to be pushing back for any reason. I think any reason to push back against Biden and the Democratic agenda, they'll push back, and I think this is an excuse for that. Uh, Dan, what do you think about that? Is this a good idea? Is this a uh, infrastructure bill? What, do you, what are your thoughts on it? Well, I kind of agree with you on the Republican pushback. They've instinctually gone after anything that the Democrats are trying to do, and they refuse to cooperate, they refuse to work along, they refuse to do anything that actually helps the people. Um, they are more concerned with helping a certain select group of rich individuals than the people who, I guess, sponsor them that way. They engage in culture wars that have yes, nothing yes, to do, do. Yes. with the real lives of people. I don't care about um, Big Bird telling little kids to get vaccinated. I think that's a good thing. So I, I find a lot of problems with, with a lot of the Republican agenda, simply because they don't seem to be coming from a place of reality or any kind of generosity of spirit a lot of times. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's just on the surface. That's just, just right there. To go a little further in terms of the actual bill itself, just think about this. If you don't clean up your room, if you don't clean up your house, you will create diseases in the room, in the house. You will, you will create chaos and have a, a, not just a messy place to live, but an unsafe place to live. Well, that's what's happened in a lot of ways to the country. Things that need to be cleaned up. Roads need to be fixed. People can ride down a certain road and tear up their cars. Mm -hmm. uh, airports need to be fixed. The train system has to be renovated and fixed. So what Biden has proposed are a lot of works that need to be done, and they need to be paid for. 
And the way that you pay for them is by going to the wealthiest people who are hoarding the money, taking that from them in their taxes, and using it to take care of the people. Yes. So that's, that's just surface. That's just what I'm seeing and thinking on the surface in terms of the the Build Back Better bill and, and the, the conflict between Republicans and Democrats. I think that that needs to be done. I think that Biden came up with the biggest uh, social turnaround program since FDR. And I applaud him for that. And I applaud the Democrats who are working hard to make it happen. Mm-hmm. I understand the reason for the infighting among Democrats. Democrats have a wide, wide market. I mean, you got Southern Democrats, you got Democrats who are focused on certain things, so they're not as homogeneous as the Republicans are. They're not as single-minded. There are a lot of different elements to the Democratic Party. And because of that, there are a lot of disagreements. But the final thing is that the Democrats seem to have a much more focused view on helping the largest number of people. Yes, indeed. I couldn't agree with you more. And just to play devil's advocate and just to, I don't want to just seem like I'm just going to beat up on the Republicans this whole show. Um, the Democrats also anger Although me. we could. Yeah, we could definitely beat up on it. But there are some things the Republicans do right. And one of those things, in my personal opinion, is the protecting the country. And they wanted to build the wall. And I know the wall was a bad idea because Trump said it, but I think a Democrat said it. I think the Democrats would have been for it. So I think there's a political divide all the way around with everything they're doing. I think that's horrible. Uh, Let me go to you on that one, uh, Mr. McKinney, Frank McKinney. What are your thoughts on the infrastructure bill? Was it a good idea, bad idea? Just let let me hear what you think about that, sir. It's a wonderful idea. And the reason for that is is that you can look around. uh, If you're old as I am, you can note, for instance, California, when I grew up, in this Los Angeles area, it was a shining star. And if you look at it right now and you're out in the streets, you'll see just the opposite of that. You'll you'll see it looking like New York City has looked at some point. By the way, New York City does look pretty good today. But I've been in New York City for a number of years when it was pathetic. And I'm looking around this town where I'm at right today, and it's not a shining star that it used to be. It's gotten old and uh, out of date. So I think the bill is great. We need roads. We need trucks. We need people at work to be work. And this bill allows people to be better employed with better jobs. Now, the Democratic Party itself, uh, and I consider myself in the middle of both of these parties, Democrat and Republican, uh, so I'm an independent. Uh, and I vote, and I have voted uh, both parties, uh, and I have been inspired by people in those parties, different people. Not the recent president from the Republican Party, I want to make that absolutely clear. I am inspired by Joe Biden because I think that he has the country at heart, the best things for the country. We need to get these sewer pipes changed in the, in the sewer system. We need to get our roads fixed, our bridges definitely fixed. We need to get our airports looking and operating like they're supposed to operate. And we need to take care of the people at the bottom in this particular country. So my news today is I'm having a latte at a very nice restaurant in Hollywood, and I'm looking right out of my window, and there's a guy sleeping on the street. 
-hmm. He is not yes, expired. Yes. He is alive. Mm -hmm. And he has turned a few times because he's cold, but he does have equipment on. And there's many people like him laying on the streets of America. My personal involvement in my city that I live in is in housing. And so I'm for housing for people that need assistance to get housing. Uh, there's, we should not have uh, this particular country as it is where people say it's uh, paradise and we've got people on the streets. I do agree. I couldn't agree with you more. And right here in Hollywood, Los Angeles, California, in my opinion, is the epicenter of homelessness because, yes, Los Angeles is not the beautiful city that it once was. And when you drive down any street from Beverly Hills to Compton, you're going to see homeless people set up in droves. And it is embarrassing, and it's a shame in one of the in the richest nation on earth to have that many people um, sleeping on the street. So, well, let me hear you a young man's perspective. I mean, you're a college student right now. Is that something that the kids in college, your generation, is that something you're talking about is that on the radar people the infrastructure bill the homelessness and just what are your thoughts on the infrastructure bill was that a good idea well las vegas has a homeless problem as it is especially during the winter and the summer like you'll see homeless people taking shelter in hotel elevators so they won't freeze or get heat stroke but the infrastructure bill and you know, i i read about the news and i looked at the original document and looking at how these senators and these uh, congressmen and women are approaching this is there's a couple types of Democrats, but there's three, the moderate Democrat, there's the Southern Democrat and the new progressive Barack Obama Democrat. There's mm -hmm. those types of Democrats. And the problem is people like Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema. They are that old wing of the party from the Bill Clinton days and the Jimmy Carter days. They aren't necessarily going to let go of those traditions down there. And Arizona and John McCain, they were known for being a maverick state where they would vote wishy-washy, and that's just how they are. And personally, they're looking for their own political interests. If I do not get in line... I will probably lose my seat because West Virginia is a deep red state. Joe Manchin will probably lose if he supports Biden's agenda. And they're also nitpicking it like little things about how this money is going to be spent. Will it probably be wastefully spent? Yes, because government does waste our money. But it's the collective good of what the bill could do and what it has the potential to be. Right. All right. Okay. Very good point. Another question to you. So, is this something that young people, such as yourself, is this something that's on the radar? Is your generation? Are you guys focused in on stuff like that? Are you guys just too busy taking selfies and things like that that you're not really even thinking about infrastructure? Well, some people that I know, you know, they do worry about current issues and they worry about what's going to happen in the future. Some people only think a couple months or a couple weeks ahead. Don't think long term. But there are some people who think. What is the world going to be like 20, 30 years from now? I mean, how the, what's the situation going to be with the rent? What's the situation going to be with the roads and the trains and the buses and stuff? People do worry about that from what I notice. Okay. All right, and that's, that's a good segue into what we're talking about. About the, You mentioned John McCain and 
all the old school um, politicians. I personally, me myself, think term limits is something we should be discussing as far as Congress is concerned. I think some people serve for just too long. I mean, rest in peace, John Lewis. Rest in peace, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, so many I can go on and name a name. I just think they should stop holding on to power to the day they die. I think there should be term limits in Congress. I don't think it's right that um, people of a certain age are governing people of um, that are much, much, much younger. I mean, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, those guys are on their 80s, and they're our leaders. And then we got guys like you who are in your 20s, and they have governing power, power over you. I think that's a big gap there. So let's throw that out there and talk about term limits. What do you guys think about term limits for members of Congress, the Supreme Court, all the way down the spectrum? Uh, I'm going to start with you on that one, um, Mr. Dan. What are your thoughts on that, term limits? Uh, I can go along with term limits to a certain degree. One of the reasons why they don't have the extensive term limits is so that those people who are in power, and, and it's not just in power, I think that needs to change, that whole idea, because if anything, they should be in service they're not our rulers. They're supposed to be our servants. So those people who are here for a long time and in our service, they know the mechanisms. They have relationships with other countries that we need. They know the processes of and the histories of bills and mm-hmm. things that have to be accomplished in order to make the government and the society work smoothly. So there's a reason why they're there for long periods of time. However, you're right that too long can be too long. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm not certain how long it should be, what the term limit should be. Um, ideally, the term limit is at the end of that term when they're finished with that, you know, what is it, six years for the Senate Four years for the House, so two two years in the House, yes, two years, two years, two years, years in the House, and six years in the Senate. Senate yes. So when you have that and you're done with your your term, the way that the government was originally set up by the founders, they were citizen uh, servant work, you know. So that mm-hmm. when that when that was done, they would go home. Mm-hmm. But we get people now staying thirty years, forty years. That's horrible. And that can be that can be abusive. Yes, I do agree. Mr. McKinney, what are your thoughts on term limits? Do you think they're served too long or do you think they're good the way it is? Yeah, I disagree with serving too long. I think ex- experience is one of the most important commodities that you can have, good experiences and bad experiences. Uh, the the cost of being an elected official is is really high. And mm-hmm. uh, I live in the Commonwealth of Virginia where the governor serves one term for four years. Uh, and we get a different governor. And so by getting a different governor, we don't we get a different agenda every four years. And that makes it very difficult for a state to be progressive. All right? Uh, so I'm, I'm with uh, Nancy Pulaski and uh, Chuck Schumer. Uh, they've been put into office by their constituents in their area consistently. And then when they've, they've got enough seniority in their different houses in the Senate uh, that they can get elected, people can take them out of their specific positions if they vote them out, either in Washington or vote them out locally. But, I, but you know, I have great respect for my elders, and I, I always have. 
uh, because they've already been down that road. And I would hate to be handling diplomatic matters or military matters, for that matter, without having competent, experienced people that are involved in the game. So, and the expense of, of not uh, having continuation in your, your service to our nation then means that you're going to have people buy those people out at, at, a, at a higher level than they're currently being done in some cases right now. Yes, I agree. And um, Darius, let me hear your thoughts on that term limits. I mean, do you think that's a good idea or a bad idea? Um, I think it's a good idea. I just, uh, <laughs> there's, the people get to elect, you know, who they want in office. Mm -hmm. So in a sense of the word, there are term limits already there. Because you make a decision after those two years or after those six years or after those four years if you want to send that person back or not. So there are term limits there. It's not a law, but I'm saying in a sense of the word, mm -hmm. it exists because we have a choice if we want to send those people back or not. Uh, what you would have to do, uh, what Dan was saying, I think, to, to uh, discourage people from that is go back to civil servitude because when you get in Washington and you're collecting, you know, $150,000, $200,000 a year, mm -hmm. plus you've got committee chairmanships, you've got, uh, uh, you've got all this different money that comes in from your PACs and all this stuff, mm -hmm. then you are going to stay there forever because it becomes a cushy job. You're no longer a servant anymore. So that's why you have that. And that's not something that's going to change because nobody's going to vote to give themselves less money. So... <laughs> That's just something we're going to have to live with. So it sounds like you're saying, is money a problem? You think that's a problem as well? Uh, yeah. If people were civil servants like they used to be back in the day, um, they wouldn't spend millions of dollars. I mean, think about it. They spend hundreds of millions of dollars on a campaign to get a job that pays them $100,000 a year. I agree. I, that's, I agree. <laughs> there's, there's no reason for that. Yeah, yeah there's, there's plenty of reasons exactly, for that. Exactly. Yeah, you so, know, that so, comes up under the table. Right, yeah. right. So, so that's, what, that's what keeps people in office forever. It's the money. And it's also the prestige and power of being senator so-and-so, representative so-and-so. But, Michael, I'm sorry, man. I wanted to – can I make a turn just for a second? That's definitely, okay. absolutely. All right. On this infrastructure bill, I'm sorry, Sohel. Mm -hmm. I think you guys probably misunderstood. I don't, I don't disagree with infrastructure. I don't disagree with roads, bridges, schools. You know, I don't disagree with that stuff. What I disagree with is uh, cradle-to-the-grave socialism. And that's what's in this infrastructure bill. Mm -hmm. you're, talking about, you're, you're talking about giving free child care from the time a child is born until they go to college. Some of them even talking about community college free. Where's the individual responsibility? And that's what's missing from the, that's what's in this infrastructure bill that people are up in arms about. If you want to attack social issues and address social issues, then create a separate bill for social issues. But don't take, this bill I think has less than 20% of this money is going to roads and bridges going to actual infrastructure. They have this new thing now Democrats came up with called human infrastructure. It's made up. There's no such animal. And, and then I think we talk about, you know, taking money from the rich and giving to the poor. It does not work. Whenever you try to tax the rich, whenever you increase a tax burden on the rich and corporations, all you do is cause them to hoard their money, 
you stagnate investment, you stagnate job creation, the rich take their money and they go home or they ship it to other countries, and that creates less money in the market or in the economy for the poor and the middle class who are trying to come up. When you tax corporations, all the corporations do is pass that tax on to its consumers. Corporation, corporate boards are in the business for one reason, and that's to earn a profit. They have a fiduciary responsibility to earn a profit for their shareholders. They're not going to just say, well, Joe Biden says we need to pay an extra 10%, so we're going to take an extra 10% from our profits. No, they increase their prices or they pass that burden on to their consumers. That's why everywhere, in every part of the world where socialism is practiced, it has failed. America. Yeah, totally. Yeah, jump, jump in. Totally. Anybody want to jump in on that? Soil. Soil, you yeah. want to jump in on that, Soil? I appreciate that uh, conversation, but I disagree social. with that. Socialism has failed everywhere because Europeans use it pretty well. It takes care of a lot of people in Europe. I know that if you're a family in Germany and you've had a child, uh, the government there is going to make sure that you're able to stay home and take care of that child. And I'll let it, Soil take it from here, but I just want to just make be sure that I do not agree that uh, socialism is all bad. And, and lastly, patriotism. I think that American countries, companies ought to be patriotic. I agree. If they're not patriotic, mm -hmm. then they need to take their shop and their business elsewhere. Mm -hmm. I do agree. Um, real quick, so I'm going to go to you on that, but it always amazes me how oh, those no, are, right? The, the Republicans, they always say, we're against social social welfare, but when it comes to those rich, big corporations that they give those tax cuts to, they're okay with that. Yeah. But when it comes to helping the poor people, like, oh, no, we're against helping the poor people. So uh, let me ask you about this. Um, in the bill, as Darius was mentioned, is free community college. That's something that they talk about a lot on the left, which I think is a good idea. I think you should educate people for free. I don't think you should charge people for an education, especially if they need that education to get a job and survive in life. I don't know why the Republicans are so against helping poor people get an education. What do you think about that, Soel, and everything you just heard? Uh, personally, uh, it depends, but I do think that people should pay for college in some extent. 100% uh, free? You know, maybe. Uh, but the problem is with the United States education system, I forgot how it is, but years ago, prior to 1970, Every single person could send their child to college because at least some part of capacity, every single state had a guaranteed scholarship program. Well, when the Department of Education was founded, it took $64 billion away from the states and territories, and that is what, what was used to basically pay for those college uh, scholarships. Now, California and some other states are different because they do have high uh, tax revenue, so they can afford to do that kind of stuff. But states like Nevada and Wyoming, where the revenue is concise, they really can't afford to do that because the federal government took those that funding away. And they come out with student loans a couple decades later. It's just they're trying to create a problem to something that didn't exist, but they're trying to make it more streamlined, as they say. Uh, when it comes to socialist countries in Europe, people like Bernie Sanders and AOC, they talk about countries like Norway and uh, Switzerland and all these other countries. And I have a friend in, in Switzerland, and she says, 
we get so annoyed when you say we're a socialist country <laughs> because we're not a socialist country. We're a very progressive, liberal country. If we were, uh, were elected socialists, you would see Socialist Party on the prime minister's name tag. We're not a socialist country. And when it comes to term limits for elected officials, I do agree with partially what with President Reagan said. You know, when it comes to, to the voter, they should be able to vote for who they wanted as many times as they want. And that's evident in Franklin Roosevelt. He won the presidency four times. And the only reason why they passed the term limit amendment was because they knew that if he survived, he was going to win again anyway. So that's why we have term limits. And the way how government is, it's deliberately stagnant. When Jerry Brown ran for governor again after Arnold Schwarzenegger left, he was still working on stuff when he was governor the first time in the 70s. It takes so long to do things, and that's why they stay so long. But it does incentivize corruption. If you can make billions of dollars with Intel, and Intel, insider trading, some of these people, they got caught, and some people leave the Senate with $100,000, and then they have a couple hundred million dollars, like, where'd you get that money from? Mm -hmm. And then... People like Hillary Clinton, they'll go to Goldman Sachs and make a speech for $300,000, $600,000. She used the Secretary of State's office to enrich herself. Oh, you want your weapons deal passed? You want the United States to pass your weapons deal? Oh, you donated a couple hundred thousand dollars to the Clinton Foundation? Well, I'll uh, approve your weapons deal now. It's just a system of corruption, like George Carlin said. There's them, there's us. They want more for them and less for them. They want less for us and more for themselves, and they want obedient workers. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, Dan, I'm going to go to you, and I'm going to come back to you, Darius, because Darius started this socialism conversation. I always like the socialism conversation between the left and the right. So, uh, Dan, and then I'm going to go back to you, Darius. Dan, what are your thoughts? Let's hear on socialism and them, the Republicans throwing that word out there so loosely. The Republicans throw a lot of words out that don't uh, necessarily mean what they intend for them to mean. Yes, indeed. And when they throw out socialism, they recognize that most people, not having a full understanding of what socialism is, that most people will react negatively. So they use that for that purpose. Um, Now, then you get somebody like uh, AOC, who says she's a democratic socialist, Bernie Sanders, a democratic socialist. And if you talk to them, they will tell you what their philosophy means. It's not a case of having a straw man, somebody else, put it on you. They'll tell you. Mm -hmm. Um, Personally, I think that socialism in part has place in that the focus is to take care of the majority of the people, the, the, the most people. Something going on out there? No. Um, Do you consider socialism to be a bad thing or a good thing? Well, anything can be abused. You know, personally, I think a lot of the socialist ideas are okay. Um, for instance, when I was in, um, oh, what country was it? Finland, a bunch of years ago, I was in, in Oslo, Oslo, Norway, Finland. Oslo, Norway, that's where I was. I'm recalling something from 25 years ago, a okay. show that I was doing. All right. 
Young lady was telling me about the uh, problems that she was having. She had broken up with her boyfriend. She was out on the streets, so to speak, because he controlled that. The government was finding her a place to live. The government was taking care of her in that, you know, she she wouldn't she wasn't going to just be out on the street living like a homeless person. Mm-hmm. They were going to provide her with a place. Um, medical, they provide that for them. Um, jobs, I guarantee that you know they provide a lot of good things for the people. Yeah, so there are some good traits to socialism, is what yeah, I'm hearing from you. That's yes. bottom line. Yes. Yeah, so, so Darius, tell me this. So, why, and I do agree there are some good things. Now, I am a proud capitalist. Let me say that loud and clear. I love capitalism. I respect capitalism. But capitalism sometimes can be bad for a lot of people, and there's normally the minority group of people who capitalism doesn't really work for. So, Darius, let me ask you, man, why is it that the Republican Party, why do you guys use, well, I'm going to say you guys, but the Republican Party, use the word socialism like it's the boogeyman? Why do you guys use that to scare the population? Uh, socialism, I'm glad Sohail pointed it out, too. No, no offense, but European countries like Germany, France, um, those are not socialist countries. They have socialist programs a lot, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. they are extremely, extremely capitalist yes. societies. I mean, uh, uh, also the Scandinavian countries, mm-hmm. they have socialist pro- uh, projects, but they're a capitalist society as well. Now, the difference in that too, I want to point this out, is you're talking about in Germany, you're talking about 80 million people, France like 60, Scandinavian countries less than 8 million people, 7 mm-hmm. million people. So my house is a socialist home. I can take care of me, my wife, my children. They got free health care. They have free housing. They have free food. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. Right, and now, right. But now when you say, okay, now I got to bring my brother and his wife and his kids, you know what I'm saying? And then they have kids. Now all of a sudden there are more people in the boat than rowing the boat. Mm-hmm. Is so, your brother so you going can, to contribute to the household? No, no, he's not. Not in not in that type of a society. That's, oh. my, that's my point. So when you have a smaller country, smaller base, you know you can't offer more programs than you can when you don't. I mean, in a bigger country like over three hundred fifty million or close to three hundred fifty million people like America. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the evidence in why socialism doesn't work. Actually, America is pretty much an infant based on as long as the other countries in the world have been in place. Am I correct? Yes. yes right? Less yes. than 300 years yes, old. Yes, okay. we're, we're baby. We're baby. Mm-hmm. But yet, we rose to be the most powerful and the most prosperous society in the world. So if America, if capitalism is so bad, why are all these people in the world risking their lives, their children's lives, sacrificing all of their wealth to come here for opportunity and for prosperity. Capitalism is what made America great. It wasn't socialism. America is not a greedy country. America is not a country founded on greed, but however, I will say this, like Gordon Gecko, greed can be good. Because greed creates greed creates wealth. Greed creates wealth. People, people that have jobs for Apple, for Tesla, for Microsoft, Coca-Cola, 
they all have jobs because somebody said, I want to create a product that makes me a lot of money and I want to get super rich. That person's vision, that person's effort to become super wealthy created millions and millions of millionaires. You know how many millionaires are for, are, became millionaires under Coca-Cola, became millionaires under Microsoft, Tesla? They're all millionaires now because one person said, I want to make a lot of money. And you can call that greed, but that created wealth for a whole lot of people. And it created an entirely new middle class of people as well. Me, but don't you, I'm sorry, go ahead, Frank. Yeah, let, me, let me interject. This is my Catholic social teaching. Right? We have a responsibility for our brothers and sisters. I'm also a capitalistic individual. But not all of us can compete in our societies that we exactly, have. Exactly, exactly. Right? And we've got to take care of those that can't compete in our society. Absolutely. Those that cannot row the boat. Mm -hmm. We have to take care of our brothers and our sisters. Now, I come from a welfare subset, all right, as a child, all right? But I'm college educated. I uh, served our nation for a lot of years. I was successful thereafter. And I'm trying to be a good example. And being capitalistic and going out strictly to run over other people, to pay them low wages like a number of our companies do, unfair wages, unjust wages, wages that cannot support their families and everything is not the right thing to do. Furthermore, I don't think that this country was built because of on capitalism. I think it was built on the backs of slaves. Thank you. Right. Thank you. All right? Thank you. And indigenous people to this nation, right? And the reason why a country like Germany can have better programs than the Americans is, is not because of their size, it's because we spend all our doggone monies on the war machine. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. what we are about, and that's what we've been about uh, during my lifetime. And I was there in Vietnam, I served in that country, and I've, and I've been here for the recent uh, termination of our recent war effort. So we build the best submarines, we build the best aircraft carriers, but we don't build the best groups of people. Uh, we leave people laying on the streets. So, and, and, and lastly, on this political agenda, we have gerrymandering. Yes, yes. That's one of the things that keeps a politician in the office. You mm -hmm. gerrymand the district. I live in the Commonwealth of Virginia. We have some districts. They're purposely gerrymandered. Sometimes they're gerrymandered so you can get a minority person to be in, in the congressional offices. Sometimes they're gerrymandered so you can keep certain people in the offices. So I, I don't think that we were great in the past than we are today. I think we're working on, this, on a better society by helping people. Uh, that's a great point, Mr. McKinney, and that's a great segue to my next topic. I agree, like you, that this uh, we are an uh, infant nation, as you were saying, Darius. We're a young nation, but we were built on the backs of slaves. Like we weren't. Capitalism is not what made us great in such a quick amount of time. Free labor for four hundred years is what made us great for such a great. That's how um, the system works. Is on the labor system. It's on the labor system. Right. So with that said, I want to segue that into, and I'll throw it to you, Darius, because I see you're ready to talk. Reparations. I mean, reparations is a huge topic right now in the United States. There are some that are for it, the, the Democrats, and there are some that are against it, the Republicans. As we just acknowledge, this country was built off the backs of minorities for free. Shouldn't there be compensation for that, Darius? Um, short answer to your question, yes. Uh, it, however, it's a little bit more difficult than that. 
um, because now you have to figure out who are those people. So you're going to say that everybody that's black, <coughs> does, I, I see that. That's what I was getting ready to say. You're going to say that everybody that's black deserves reparations? Because I don't know if a lot of you know it, but we have blacks that, that owned slaves back in the day. Do they? A are, few. No, it, right. A, a small few, few, very small few. It doesn't matter. Do they get reparations? Are they entitled to reparations? But that, that's a conversation black? that we should have, but yet the Republicans only want to have the conversation. I'm, all right, so I'm saying that part. And then you also have, you have whites who have sacrificed a great deal as well for the freedom. The abolitionist movement was was founded by white people. You know what I'm saying? There are whites who got burned out of their homes. There are wives who, I mean, white people who've lost their businesses, all because they were for uh, the ab abolishment of slavery. So do they get penalized? Are they entitled to any reparations? So I'm not against reparations at all. So I, I just want to make that clear. Like I said, it just becomes a little bit more complex when you try to decide who gets reparations. In terms of this country being built on the backs of slaves, I disagree. Now, did we get, did we, what? Did, did America... <laughs> you disagree I with dis that one? I disagree. What, what, what created the wealth in America was the Industrial Revolution. What created, and the free it was, labor. It was, no, there was no free labor. Oh, in you're talking about later during yeah, the exactly. uh, buildup of the North and right. when okay, we, when we started the cheap when, labor. Well, that that labor created the middle class. I don't know if you remember if you read the book by Henry Ford, but Henry Ford said he did not want to own a factory where his employees could not purchase the product. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The unions and that was well, no, the, the unions, unions came late. The, the unions that came class. that came later. Unions built the middle class. That came later. I just, I the just middle class I just, came later, too. Because yeah, the middle class, middle class really is, came about after FDR. Is, a middle class you person know. is a person who owns a home, who owns a car, who has an intact family. That's a middle class person. And how does that happen? That happens through the unions. And the, the, yeah, are the, greatest, the unions have been the greatest institution in this America for making sure the dispersal of wealth is dispersed to a larger segment of our population. The unions dis destroyed Detroit. The unions are the reason why companies went overseas. The unions are the reason why Detroit used to be the black mecca and the most prosperous uh, city in the country, and now it's desolate countries because of unions. Companies no. go overseas because they're thieves. The, the <laughs> land barons, the auto barons, are all about making a buck. They don't care on who's back, they make that buck on. Saying that the they'll union... They'll take that business to Mexico, they'll take it to India, they'll take it to any country they possibly can where they can get the cheapest amount of labor so they can put the most amount of money in their pockets. All Definitely. Right? All right? So that's that's really what happened to Detroit. Detroit got left. Black people got left in that city in Detroit, and they didn't get taken out. The white folks didn't get left in that city. They created suburbs around that city, and they left and took their business to the south where they could take advantage of other people. That's, and that's a fact. You look at some of the states that we have, you know, West Virginia being one of them, Tennessee being another one, you'll see people, they're living at the poorest poverty levels. Absolutely. And they're not even, some of them are not even smart enough to understand that they're being taken advantage of. Blaming the unions for the fall of a city like Detroit is blaming the victims. Yes. Because yes. the unions were not the perpetrators, it was the companies that left. Yes. The unions were organizing the people and bringing the people in and getting money. Now, when we said that things can be abused, there were people in the unions who did abuse. And there were definitely people on the, like quote, the capitalism side that did abuse. Mm -hmm. But in terms of 
who provided the most for the people? It was the unions. I agree that there was some benefit there. But I'll tell you this, and this is from a GM executive. Uh, he said at one point, GM was paying out more money to its previous employees than they were for their current. Well, they should have. The well, yeah, that's a pension. That's a pension. Let me finish. Let me finish. Yes. Yeah, there was promises, but those were bad promises. They made those promises in No company. No honor. No. have to do that. I understand that. Corporations have to do it. That's why they have bankruptcy law. What the corporations do is they make the promises so they go bankrupt later on. How can a company go forward? How can a company succeed if the greater part of their earnings and income are going to people that are no longer productive to that company. They Eventually, that company will go out of business. Yeah, they they cannot work. Fair, if they cannot yeah. pay a fair and just wage, we're not talking about fair and just wages. You're, you're talking about the pensions after. Yeah, no, I agree. There fine. should be pension reform. Yeah, that is part of their wage system. All right, I'm retired from the United States military, and I get a fair and just wage from them every month, significant month. Enough that I don't have to go out and work. I didn't ask them to set that up. They set that up to keep me in the service. Right. And the same thing would happen with these unions. The unions set that up, made the agreement, and they need to live up to what they promised. Yeah, I, and I, if they're I, having trouble, it's just a matter of doing math. That's yeah. okay. But, you know, yeah. when a person makes a promise, they need to honor that promise. I'm not I, saying they shouldn't honor it. That's an example that Americans should set all over. I'm saying it's not sustainable. I agree no, that I'm it's not sustainable. I do agree with that. But I could not make it in business if I paid out more to people who are no longer productive to you my company. You shouldn't have that business. That's the economics. See, yeah, it's a liberal. I got to. You can't afford to pay people a just wage. You shouldn't be in that I didn't business. say a just wage. I said people who are no longer productive. If I paid out more money to them than the people that are producing for me currently, I would go out of business. Yeah, and this is one of those things I agree with the conservatives on. I agree with you on that one, Darius. I agree that we can't continue. We need pension reform. Let's just call it what it is. But I agree with you too, Mr. McKinney, that if we make a promise to these people, we have to honor that promise. I do agree with that. But I also agree with Darius saying that how can we continue to pay people not working? Okay, so let me explain this to you. Okay, first of all, the land barons and the auto barons in Detroit made significant dollars. Sense and I'll cut this short. Mm -hmm. They made the money. Mm -hmm. They took the money. They built hotels and other things and railroads. Okay, mm -hmm. that money belongs to the people. And then they cut the union salaries. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but they stole monies mm -hmm. from the mm -hmm. union mm -hmm. treasury. Mm -hmm. All right. So, uh, what are your thoughts on this, young man? Okay, I'm gonna address the whole reparations thing first. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but uh, my thought is, I think that we need to start investing more in the minority community, particularly. Yes. Uh, schools. I think we need more charter schools. I think it's very sad. They said that in California, I think it's one out of four black kids can't read. And it's because in many cases they integrate Spanish into this because they try to cater to everybody. And there's nothing wrong with learning a second language. But in these minority communities, it's very neglected. And you obviously don't see a lot of development in that area. And I think that comes down to tax laws and a lot of other stuff, and I think that can be improved. But the whole union thing, I, I, I want to talk about uh, New Jersey. I have family in New Jersey, and I'm probably going to go there in a couple of days anyway. But Chris Christie said that we pay more for the public pension system, lifetime health care system, than we will ever pay in 10 years for the current employees.
And because of every single governor, they do every single different with how they restructure that budget. New Jersey has, I think, one of the largest pension and public service liabilities, I think, only second, or I think Illinois is the first one. And the teachers in the unions, they got upset, like, yeah, you can't have platinum health care benefits anymore because I'm not going to increase the property taxes again or the income tax again. And he literally said, you know, you cannot pay to be in the union. If you want to be in the union, that's entirely your choice. But if you don't want to be in the union, you have to pay a fee to get out of the union, a representation fee. And he said it's like the Hotel California. You can check in any time you want, but you can never leave. (laughs) And like what he was saying was really, really sad because, yeah, the unions did have a good a good reason to exist at one time, especially during the great industrial revolution where people were greedy, but keep in mind what like what's, but keep in mind like what's happening now in our society with schools and all these other stuff. They literally have representations from the union at the legislature and they're looking at you to see what you vote on. And if you don't vote for what they want, they take your campaign money. Mm -hmm. If you do not vote the way how they want, when Chris Christie ran for governor again, the union spent, I think, a couple million dollars on attack ads just against him. And the union, they get a whole bunch of money that they collect in dues from their members. Why not pay for your own union members' healthcare benefits? I mean, if they're paying for the union, why not pay partial for their pension or these platinum healthcare benefits that you expect the state to pay? Because the state can't default on a debt a business can. Right, right, right. Okay, very good point there. Um, we're going to put a button on that one real quick. I'd like, like to just and, one thing. Right, fair enough. Uh, I'll let Mr. Frank uh, go ahead and say something about that real quick. Education system. Persons that are responsible for teaching a child to read is their parents. Mm-hmm. All right, so you know, if a child can't read, and we, we need to talk about that today as well, the parenting. Mm-hmm. All right, that's the primary person that's supposed to educate a child is the parent. Yes. All right. This is not the society where you're supposed to give the child to the school and don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. I also like to add on that. Mm-hmm. In the United States, since the 60s, since Lyndon Johnson's Great Society Act, more, I think, than I think it's 70% of women will have a child as a single mother. So if this single mother is trying to have a job and raise a child by herself, and if the baby's father is not in the picture, who is going to teach the child to read? Because she's probably working a job or two to make sure that she can pay the rent and pay the bills. She doesn't have the time to teach a child to read. And every single state does have a pre-K based reading system where they teach children to read. And in many cases, they cannot do that because of how the education system is structured. Absolutely. And that's actually another good segue. And we're going to put a button on that topic, but I want to segue into the next topic with so well pointed to there's a lot of um, situations where the father's not in the home. And as Mr. Frank was saying, education is important. It starts in the home. But a lot of homes, as we know, are broken. There are a lot of broken homes, especially in the minority African-American and the um, Latino community. And I think the homes are broken because of years of systemic racism, um, specifically mass incarceration. 
I always hear the Republicans and those on the right saying, well, the black man is not in the home, and that's the problem. The black man's not in the home, and they beat that down. But they never say, well, the black man's not in the home because he's in prison, because this racist criminal justice system, this Jim Crow relic of a Jim Crow uh, criminal justice system we have, it disproportionately locks up black men and uh, tears up the black family. So I want to talk, dive deep, deep, deep into mass incarceration right now and hear what everyone's thoughts on that, because I think mass incarceration is literally the epicenter of systemic racism in America, me personally. And I'm speaking as a man who I've gone through that system. I never shy away from telling people I've gone through that broken, racist criminal justice system. So I know how corrupt and evil it is. So I want to throw this to the panel and hear what you guys want to say about mass incarceration. And do you guys think that's something that Congress and our government should dive into fixing that broken system? Uh, I'm going to start with my man Darius on that. What are your thoughts on that, man? Well, let's start off by saying Donald Trump did bring, introduce. The uh, First Step Act, the, yes. Yeah, the First Step Act mm -hmm. and uh, justice reform for black people uh, who are mostly affected. Thank, thank Kim Kardashian that he knew it. <laughs> well, he listened. He listened, okay? Yeah. But it's been something that people have been talking about for years, and the first racist president that you guys call him was the one to actually <laughs> put that into play. As, but, as but, I call him. As I call him as well. Yes, okay. yes. So anyway, let, let me die. This is, a system, this is very, very near and dear to my heart, so I'm glad Michael brought this up. The, what we have with mass incarceration is mainly due uh, yes, it is an unjust system, and it is uh, overwhelmingly um, uh, affecting black people. But the problem is economics. The problem of people not being in, fathers not being in the home, I'm sorry guys, I hate to say this, but it's due directly to socialist policies. It's due directly. Nah, I disagree. Okay. I, disagree. I know you were going to disagree. But let me, yeah. I know you were going to disagree. But let me finish. Let me, okay, yeah. let me finish. Okay, finish your, finish your point. All right. The reason why this happened is if you go back to uh, FDR and the New Deal, you go back to uh, welfare, you go back to public housing. When you think of these programs, these programs were set aside for single black women and their children. Okay, this is the reason why black men are not as engaged. First of all, it took away the responsibility of parenting because the government said, I'll be your daddy. It took away the responsibility of providing a home because the government said, oh, I'll give you a place to stay. And now, as a result of that, the black family was adversely separated because women could not collect those benefits with a man in the house. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And once that happened, it also created a problem for innovation, ingenuity. You saw that blacks became, or, and I shouldn't just say blacks, but minorities and poor people in general became a little lazier. Uh, and they didn't strive as hard to create business, to create opportunity, commerce, to provide for their families because the government came in with social issues. And it was all good intentions. Don't get me wrong. You know, but the paved way to hell is... The path to hell is paved with good intentions, so they say. So when those democratic socialist policies were put into place, it adversely destroyed the black community. And what you had before that, and, and I'll even go back to before Jim Crow laws, before that you had black people who realized that we have to provide for ourselves. We have to create our own economy. We have to create our own businesses, our own schools. 
once the Jim Crow laws were done away with, and I'm not, don't get me wrong, please don't misunderstand me now. I'm saying it should still be Jim Crow laws. But what I'm saying is once those laws were created, it disincentivized the black community from creating its own. I'll take one thing, for example. Imagine the HBCUs back then and now, historically black colleges. Imagine if they said, we're not going to pass a law at the University of Alabama to allow blacks to come in, right? We're not going to give black scholarships. So all the black parents sent their kids to Gramlin, to Southern, to Howard, right? Imagine what ESPN would look like on Saturday afternoons. There wouldn't be any black people covering Alabama. There wouldn't be any uh, coverage of Alabama playing or Mississippi playing or South Carolina or Georgia. The coverage would be Gramlin. It would be all HBCUs because that's where all the talent is. Black people would be a powerhouse right now had there not been socialists, white liberal socialists come in and try to say, we're going to help you because you are disadvantaged. No, we would have created our own institution, our own economic power, and we would have been a powerhouse in and of itself in a community. Right. Let me push back on the we would have created, because every time I hear um, that term, I'm like, well, you guys, the black community, you just need to create your own, create your own. The thing about that is when we create our own, the white community comes along and destroys it, hence Tulsa, Oklahoma. So every time I hear that, you guys just need to create your own thing. We've tried a gazillion times to create our own, but there's always some other force. I'm just going to go ahead and call it the white government that comes in and crushes the black guy whenever he tries to create his own. So let me throw that to you, Dan. Let me hear your thoughts on this conversation. Well, I'm, I, I fully agree with that. Like you said, Tulsa, Oklahoma, that county in New Jersey where they just took over even after black people had been elected. And then a crowd of white people just came and said, no, it's not going to happen that way. Mm -hmm. There's been physical attacks to keep us, quote, in place, unquote. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's, that's uh, definitely the issue there. Um, in terms of the, uh, oh, God, what you were talking about? Reparations. Reparations. I agree that there should be reparations, but I get lost, and I really don't know when how to determine who would get them. Um, I would like to get some reparations, but then <laughs> I didn't even apply for that loan from the uh, government earlier this year. I didn't even do that, you know. So there go my reparations, too, you know. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of off, off on it. On that. What about you, uh, Mr. McKinney? As a man who served your country proudly for 30 years, have you said, do you think this country has a debt to the African-American community? Oh, most definitely the country has a debt to the African-American community because, again, as I stated earlier, this nation was built off the backs of slaves and indigenous people. Mm -hmm. You know, this whole, this whole process of having a wall at a country that we came to and took over as European Americans, and 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 the, you see the Native Americans are on reservations. They have a bad health care system, and other problems. And you see that Afro Americans have problems, and it's, the problems are is a result of being squashed by the system. And the system is European Americans not providing equal opportunities uh, for these people, jobs are one of the most important equalizers. Black people during my time, when I was a child, could not get good jobs other than housekeeping 
and janitorial work, and that's in the com that's in the state of California. So, and that was a progressive, more progressive state than let's say Mississippi. So people were really just treated badly, and it's and even the system itself doesn't allow promotions for these people to get assistance. That's why you have people turning to other alternatives and ending up incarcerated. Yes, indeed. And I'm going to throw this to you, Soil, but I just want to say this real quick in regards to which, to piggyback off of what Mr. McKinney was saying, is if you just look at major corporations in America like Walmart, McDonald's, blah, 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 they were normally, most, the majority of them were started like in the 1950s, 1940s, give or take. And they're all um, international corporations now. Well, in the 1940s and 50s, a black guy like me, I couldn't have started McDonald's in 1945 when Ray A. Krog was starting that company up. I couldn't have started Walmart in 1955 when the Walton, when, when the Walton family started that company. So there's clearly, the white community clearly had a head start on the black community. So I just personally think the reparations are definitely due. What do you think, Soel, as a young man? What does your generation think about that? Personally, I don't know a lot of people who think reparations are a good idea because my philosophy is every race that came here that was poor was picked on. Irish people were picked on. Uh, Non-white Anglo-Saxon Christians that came here were picked on. Um, Asians that came here were picked on. It was simply a matter of white elitists from the colonial English days. And... That doesn't exist anymore, but it still persists. I mean, you were talking about Ray Kroc. Ray Kroc got rich because he stole McDonald's from the McDonald's the brothers. brothers. right. And that corporate greed, that does exist. I think we were talking about uh, single fathers in the absence of that. Um, the criminal justice system in this country, you will go to prison in like Alabama for 20 years for a little baggie of weed. And it's kind of contradictive because I think marijuana is legal in most of the states now for recreational use. So if you go to a couple states over and then you come back to your home state, you will be arrested for something legal in the country technically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it just is a matter of getting those people out of prison because uh, Joe Biden, uh, Donald Trump, all these other past presidents had the ability to pardon every single person with a possession of marijuana, whether it was a little baggy or something. It's, it's a plant. And people make paper out of it. People make purses with it. Mm -hmm. I, I think that these people should be pardoned. I think that they should be let out of uh, prison. Um, and what was the other topic? Uh, we, uh, reparations. Did you touch on that? It, it was reparations and something else. Uh, that was it. That was it. Oh, yeah, well... So in reparations... And mass incarceration and reparations. One of the problems I had with it is, is, is how you... If you spend money, or what type of things do you do to help these people? And I think that's what we've been talking about all along. These governmental programs, and they could be corporate programs if corporations want to put their monies towards the people that work for them, all right? That's, that's, that's helping them. I think when we did affirmative action, when I came through in the 60s and everything, there, were, there came a sense at one time that people weren't fairly treated. We had to get them into institutions, and, the, and that effort was, was undertaken and worked pretty well. It produced a subset of people that could help other people if we all get in the boat and, and help each other. All right, and that's what I'm trying to do as a citizen of this country. I get paid well. I was doing affirmative action. Now, I don't think I got promoted because of affirmative action. 
I worked harder than anybody else. All right, that's that's my MO. Mm -hmm. And I studied. Mm -hmm. All right. And people gave me the opportunity. Those people who wanted to see a person of my color and complexion be successful gave me that opportunity. I'm thankful for that, and I'm trying to give others opportunity. But I so I think that when you're talking about repairing that damage that was done, there's many ways this country can go about doing it. It doesn't necessarily have to be funding, mm -hmm. but you certainly have got to go into uh, to the communities of public housing, and you certainly have got to get people better educated, and you certainly got to get them some value systems that's going to produce uh, success. Absolutely. What do you want to say about that, Soel? Okay, I remember what the other part was. It was about uh, social benefits and stuff. Mm -hmm. When it comes to social benefits, I think, yes, you know, if we didn't invest so much money in all of these military bases in our allied countries, like in Canada and England and Mexico, I think that, yes, we could probably pay for a lot of this stuff, but the United States, we just reached the debt ceiling recently, and there was a big fear that that was not going to be raised, and the country's credit rating actually dropped a bit because of that fear. And I think the last time this country had a budget surplus was Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton, yes. And it's been several, several years since we've ever even had that attainable uh, budget surplus, and that money... It's going to Social Security. I mean, back in the day, there was five people for one Social Security uh, uh, recipient. And now I think it's about three. And by 2034, they think it's going to be gone. So what my problem is, I think we should be focusing on how to preserve on what we have rather than asking for more. Because clearly, with this budget deficit that we have and continue to have, and it's not going to get better unless we increase taxes or cut a lot of money, we shouldn't really be talking about more right now. We should talk about preserving what we have because people who haven't saved throughout their careers, Social Security is a lifeline. If they don't have it, they're going to be broke. And it's important that we preserve that and make sure that we can progress in the future with it. Well, the cost of medicines are extremely high. And that was brought up earlier in our discussion. Cost of a prescription, people are spending more monies for their medicines or not having their medicines than they're actually bringing in in Social Security benefits, a number of people in our country. The cost of prescription drugs is high because the government does not negotiate with the corporations that create those drugs. So they just take whatever price comes down as the pike. As they do in Canada. As they do in Canada, <laughs> as they do in Europe, as they do in other countries. The thing who, is, who, Dan, who, introduced, who introduced that, that uh, legislation that we should do that? I don't know who. <laughs> the most racist president ever. That's what Donald Trump ran. That was one of his platforms. And that we should have done that. The thing is, well, uh, you know what that means? That means that even a stop clock is right, right. twice a day. <laughs> I you couldn't know? agree more. <laughs> the thing is, I have relatives that have diabetes, and insulin is always high. It's always been high. And the thing is, when Trump signed that, it actually went down for a little bit, and then Biden and Harris got rid of it, and then it went up. Because usually what people do is they hire someone to go down to Mexico or Canada, bring a whole bunch of insulin, and bring it back. And Puerto Rico is kind of rare in this case because they are a territory of the United States, but they basically govern themselves. Puerto Rico is one of the largest manufacturers of goods and prescription drugs, I think, in the world. And their people, they have cheap 
drug prices. Mm -hmm. People go to Puerto Rico and literally fill suitcases with drugs and they bring it back here. So when it comes to that, it is partially what the government does. And it was going down for a bit, but I, I do blame Joe Biden for that. I think we should reintroduce that legislation that was making the drug prices go down. That was part of the Build Back Better plan, bringing those prices down. Yes. Then why did he get rid of it in the first place? Well, they, well I don't know. Because it was Donald Trump's idea. Anything Trump was bad, so we had to change. No, that's no. why. We, no, no, no. That's no, pretty. No, that's no, simplistic. That's, 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 the Biden administration has allowed them to continue. You know that. What's not what? Well, I can start off with people at the border. Okay, that system is the same system. It is not. It is not. They no, they I got they, they got away with the stay in Mexico policy. They got away with They're that. Staying they, no. They're staying. No, they no, are. No. Part of the people are being. Part of the people are housed in Mexico. That's no, a fact. There were there was a thing that said stay in Mexico until you get a hearing. Okay, they signed that agreement with Mexico. Joe Biden did away with that agreement. That no longer exists. The border wall has been stopped. The There's border no wall should more. have never been built. I, I disagree totally. That's why you have the influx of people running no, across what, the border. No, there are people in tents by the border right. of Texas. Well, people are staying under bridges. You what think we that's did in so this country is we allowed Europeans to come in because they were white. Okay, I definitely yeah, agree. Let me just tell you, that's how, that's how it is. That's a fact. And I'm probably the oldest guy sitting here, okay? <laughs> White Europeans came into this country because that's who they wanted. They did not want people of dark complexion. What, age, what, what years finish. are you talking about? Let me finish. I know, I'm just trying I'm to figure born, out what I, area. I was born in 1947, all right? So mm -hmm. I became in the Navy in 1964. Right. And I'm telling you the, the lay of the land. The lay of the land is, is that this country... We had pro we allowed the largest number of immigrants, it was talked about when I was a child, the largest number of immigrants came in from Europe. The lower number of immigrants came in from Asia and countries from Africa. Yeah, I, I, I think there's no... Furthermore, this country right here should not have a wall because this country didn't have a wall when the Europeans first landed here. Okay, I, I, I agree and disagree with you, Mr. McKinney, on that. I agree that there's a racial element as far as the who we let in and who we don't. Nothing could be more prevalent than what we just saw with the Haitians who were living under the bridge and how quickly we got them out of the country. And that was under Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, under a Democratic administration. And I was totally against the way we treated I've those. Been to um, Haiti about five times. Mm -hmm. All right, Haiti, the Haitians are the most disliked people in the Western. Oh, yes, yes, yes. We, we can go deep into that. Uh, people in the Western Hemisphere. Right. I'm gonna, let me go to you real quick, Soil, but I just want to say this. I do agree, as I said in the beginning, that we do need a border. On We do need a, a gate yeah, or whatever, some sort of... We have a border. We can go in Canada in and out any day of the week we want once the COVID restrictions are taken off. Right, but I think... that we, way in every place in the world. We shouldn't... In Europe, you can go any place that belongs to the European mm -hmm. nations together. Mm -hmm. You can travel without that type of restriction. But what's the stop? Is, if you look at the border crisis now, what's going on in Central America? In the, European, the European Union, any person, an English person can live in Spain without you any restriction. become a citizen. But, but let me ask you this, uh, Frank. What's to stop? If you look at what's going on at the border right now with all those people just coming in here, that large influx, What's to stop a terrorist with a nuclear bomb from just coming across that border and just causing carnage noticed, in the United have you States? Noticed the only bomb we've had is COVID-19. Have you noticed that? Yes. Yes. All right. And the reason why is because it's in people's self-interest to get better jobs and to feed their families. 
And the reason why you have to let people come across the borders freely is to be able to feed themselves. If you don't feed yourself, there will be a war. But do you not you have a— If you feed yourself, you're going to be people in prison. But do you not have a barrier on your home? You don't just let anyone come into your I home. You any, lock your door, no, right? Let me tell you something. If I'm in Haiti and there's a wealthy home, there's a wall with glass stones all around and barbed wire and all that around. I don't have one of those in my home, okay? <laughs> right. I, all right? I'm not, there's nothing of value in my home that I would. But you do control who goes in and out of your home, correct? You do control that, right? I have a door for my family's sake. I do. And you lock it, right? People don't come in and out, right? right? Right. You just don't leave it open 24 7. But what I'm telling you is, is that. This particular country was taken from the indigenous people. Fair enough. That, right? that, I agree with that, right? that, that, it I, that. It was the the slavery system allowed the company to become wealthy, right? We have poor people who are living in these countries we've taken advantage of. South American countries, mm-hmm. Mexico, all right? Mm-hmm. The banana places that they've done banana plantations. We've taken advantage of these people. Now, as someone has said, what is it, the chickens coming home to roost or whatever? Mm-hmm. This, this particular lands we have are not for European Americans. They're for the world. Okay? Mm-hmm. They weren't created. They, this, this land was not created for white folks only. Fair enough. What do you, th- what do you think about that, Soel? Let me hear what you got to say. Okay. When you talk about historic immigration in the United States, the reason why— Okay. When we're talking about historic immigration in the United States, the reason why a lot of white European people came here is because white European people tend to have money, education, and assets. In the immigration code, they specifically ask that people don't become a public charge because they do not want people to come here, not have any plan, not have any money, not have a a job. Let me me finish. They don't want them to not have a job and not have any resources here. If I wanted to, I could sponsor my sister and her children to, to come from Belize, and I can probably get them a job within a couple of weeks. But if you don't speak English, you don't know how to assimilate into the country, you're going to have a difficult time adjusting to what life is in America compared to your home country, and you're probably going to have a difficult time. There were time. plenty of people at the hotel I stayed at last night that did not speak English and did not understand English, all right? And they were working. Right. Go ahead, so I'll finish. Yeah, and there's some people, like Spanish is basically the second language of the country, but there are many things in the United States that aren't Spanish. Street signs are not Spanish. Most government documents aren't Spanish. In many cases, you're going to need to have someone to help you translate something into English. And Mexico, sadly, is one of the more poor developed countries, and that is why the immigration process is so much stricter from Mexico, because the government does not want people to come here and become a public charge and need assistance. Well, let me just say this, sir. The workers in California have primarily been Hispanic during my entire lifetime, so the people that are coming to this country are not becoming charges for the most part. They are more productive than a lot of our Americans, and they'll do the jobs that a lot of our Americans will not do. And that's a fact. All right? So what it is 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 the reason why you or maybe others do not want people of different colors coming in here is because of the fact they're a threat to you and your level of living. Okay? But California has more welfare recipients than any other uh, state in the nation. California should have eight to ten senators. Okay? They should, instead of two senators, they should have eight to ten. They have that many more people. They're the eighth largest country in the world. They were considered a country. Yeah, I'm I'm in agreement with that, that we do need more senators. Dan, what do you you think about this border crisis, Don? Dan, do you agree that uh, racism has a lot to do with who we're letting in and who we're not letting in? Oh, definitely. All you have to do is look at the 
crowds and see. I mean, this is group is not allowed in. And what do you see all through? You see dark people, you see brown people, you see poor people. And then you look at this group that's coming in all the time and they're white. Um, they don't hunt down people who are in from Canada for too long. They're not coming they're up to their down. doors, knocking on it and saying, you know, immigration. You know, they're not doing that to the Canadians. And they are here. There are people who have been here much longer than their original charge to, to stay. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's undeniable that there's a racist element to it, just as it's undeniable there's a racist element to the U.S. government. Right. What would you do if you were the president as far as the border? How would you handle that? Okay, see, that's a little above my pay grade. <laughs> I, might, I, might, I might play a president on a stage, but I'm not that. But in, in terms of what I think should be done, I think that, one— you're going to have to move a lot of people down there to handle that crowd. You're going to have to build up a system of courts, a system of policing, so that you can have the people coming in smoothly. You're going to have to build in a system of housing so that those who can come in can be set up. It's a, it's a multi-level problem because there is no just one quick, easy solution. And um, plus, you're going to have people who have family problems. You're going to bring in people who are definitely escaping gangs. You're going to be bringing in people who, who need to be taken care of. And like I said, that's a multi-level problem. You're going to need social workers. You're going to need a system of teachers. Um, and quite frankly, I think all of that should be put in place. I agree. Darius, if you were president of the United States from the conservative side, how would you handle the border crisis right now? I complete that wall. I do that first and foremost. Okay. Um, I'm so glad Sohail touched on the subject of the early European immigration. That's why I was asking you what years were you speaking about? Because then there, it was based on certain requirements that you had to meet. So when you were coming over here as a the European... Irish didn't meet they did, yeah. Can you let me let me let me finish, please? Okay, I'm getting ready to tell. I'm getting ready to tell. I know, but I'm getting ready to tell you. So one of the first things you had to do, like Sohel said, you had to prove that you had a sponsor. You had to prove you had somewhere to stay. You had to prove that you could provide for yourself. You had to be willing to assimilate. You had to take classes on what it meant to be an American. You had to be willing to assimilate to American culture and society. You had to swear swear, swear an oath to America the Pledge of Allegiance. You had to learn English, okay? These were, and they had to know who you were. You were tested for diseases. You were tested on certain things to make sure that you weren't bringing different diseases and everything into this society when you came here. So it's a very, 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 I mean, I mean, the two immigration policies that you're talking about, it's just, I mean, they're diametrically, diametrically opposed to one another as opposed to people just running free across the border. Okay, uh, that's why you hesitated when he asked you the question about do you like <laughs> because you don't, nobody just you don't have a country without a country without borders is no country at all. Now, mm -hmm. so now let's talk about racism. Mm -hmm. When you have a free influx of people coming across the border, you indirectly and disproportionately affect the black community and lower income community. Because when these people come in with no education, 
not being able to speak English, and needing in need of social services, where do you think they move into? The black community. The black community. Yes. They're not moving into the houses on the hills, the communities on the hills. They have gated communities. Where do you think they're going to school at? The black community. The mm-hmm. black community. Mm-hmm. What happens in those school systems when the teachers have to slow down the pace of education because they have to teach somebody who doesn't speak English? Mm-hmm. What happens to the health community centers in that community when those people don't have insurance and they go and flood the emergency rooms and the clinics in the area? Black people lose out on yes. health care, on treatment. What I'm trying so the social welfare system is being inundated. So what I'm trying to tell you is you can say it's racist all you want, and that may be true. But the white, the rich white people aren't being affected by this. Yeah. Yeah, they're I, not coming to their schools. They're not coming to their communities. They're not living and they're not taking their jobs. And you keep saying they do the jobs that other people want. The reason other people won't do those jobs is because they're not paying wages that are good enough. And guess mm-hmm. what? If there wasn't an influx of illegal people coming in and willing to do that, then the wages would have to. Economy dictates that they would have to go up. The reason they're not going up is because people are coming over willing to do them for little or nothing. Yeah, and this is one thing that, as speaking as a Democrat, once again, I continue to say that I totally agree with the conservatives, and I agree with Darius on that point right there. I, I as you are, Mr. Frank. I totally and strongly disagree with that comment, first of all. Well, hang on. Let me, let me make this point, Mr. Mr. McKinney. You are from Compton, California. I've lived in Compton. I think Soel said he's from Compton. I think everyone at this table is familiar with the city, Compton, California. It's historically an African-American productive community, historically. But if, well, true, fair enough. Before that, it was a white community until the 1950s, I would say. We all know George Bush actually was from Compton. But for the most part, it's known as a black community. We can go with NWA, blah, blah, blah. But if you go there now, it's no more African-Americans in that community. It's an all-Latino immigrant community. And I'm not saying anything is wrong with that. There is not nothing wrong with that. But those immigrants who are coming in, Darius is right. They go right into the black community, and they push the black people out of their community. So immigration does tend to affect the black community more than others. And, yes, those um, white liberals like Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Gavin Newsom, who are saying let them in, let them in? Well, let them in because they're not going to your community, Nancy Pelosi. They're not moving to San Francisco in that gated community you're in. They're moving into my community and just disproportionately, um, I want to say ruined, but kind of pushing my community out of there. So I want to hear uh, Dan. Let me let me go to you on this one. On specifically them coming into, into the community. Yeah, what community are they going to and how is that affecting those communities? Well, definitely they're they're going to the poorer communities that mm-hmm. they can afford to be in mm-hmm. or communities where relatives of theirs have already been and so they can join them and be part of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely. But what what it seems to point out is that we need a, an entirely larger system of changes. Mm-hmm. We need changes that will encompass the educational needs that they'll have. We need changes that'll take part of the social work and what needs to be done and brought in to help them lift up. Um, We need a system that supports workers better so that they're not pushing the, the group that's already in there out of position, out of a job. Um... It's a big problem. It's multi-level, like I said. And, uh, you know, I can't give you just one, this is the way to do it. 
Because, like I said, it's a little above my pay grade. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, let's button that up. We can talk that one into the ground. I think we've covered that enough. Uh, the next I would topic. I just like to go on record. That I yes, think, sir. I think you guys are all wrong on that. <laughs> uh, Please. In our society, tell me, tell in our society you may not have gotten this in school, but in this society that we live in, the people, immigrants come in, and they're supposed to be pushed to up. They're supposed to go up and be pushed up from their society. The new person comes in and does that work and creates a better life for themselves. The people that have been there are supposed to get up and move out. Okay? Unfortunately, in my community, the black community, we were never pushed up. We were just stepped on. So that's kind of how we feel well, in our, I don't, our community. I don't necessarily <laughs> concur with that. I don't think the system has been fair to people that are Afro-Americans. But I think some of us have been able to take advantage of what's been available and have been successful. We just need to get a larger group of people into that success ring. All right, and that's what we're here trying to discuss today, and I share that with all of you guys. I pre but I want to tell you, these people that are that are here, that are trying to get into this country, uh, the rich, wealthy people have already been hiring them. That's why they're at the borders. They know they can be employed as soon as they get across. They will be employed, and they have been employed. They're not they don't qualify for welfare benefits when you're not. A registered citizen, okay? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm telling you, That's if you come right. in here legally, if you come in here legally and nobody knows you're here, you don't get welfare benefits, mm -hmm. all right? And I've had, I've dealt with people that have been immigrants who have been in this country illegally, all right? So they don't wake up to the plate and say, hey, my name is so-and-so, I illegally came in, because if they do, they put you out of the country. The last thing I'll say of this right here is the government, our government itself has invited these people. We got ready to complete the stadium in Atlanta where you live. That was completed by immigrants. And that's because the United States government said we cannot complete this stuff in time for the Olympics. And would you please send some people over from Mexico to help us complete? That's what, what happened. And there's a community of people in Atlanta that can share that story with you. Okay. I, 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 Mike, I'm Go ahead, sorry. Sir. I'm, we're holding you hostage. But a lot of what you said is false. If you're an illegal immigrant and you get caught you can get in California, it's a sanctuary state, they will release you. Yes, a man, they will. He, he, he murdered a girl, Kate Steinle, and he was deported to Mexico four times, and they just released him back. Let's talk about Texas. Let's talk about getting welfare benefits in Texas. Well, no, in Texas, no, but um, no, that's a conservative state, and no, the conservative. Texas is a model. But let's let's. Let's use Mississippi as the model. Let's use Georgia as the model. I mean, as a, as a liberal, I mean, liberal states are more sanctuary states as opposed to conservative states, and Texas is a conservative state, so no, it's not a sanctuary state. But I want to button that up because we're going into the last hour. We have an hour left, so I just want to remind the listeners: you're listening to a man's voice. I'm your host, Michael Kimbrew, and we have a distinguished panel of um, gentlemen here, and we're just having a discussion about things that may affect you in your day, everyday life and things that may not. Um, I'm going to start throwing it to the panel and let you guys say what you guys want to talk about, whatever topic's on your mind. Um, I'm going to go first and say I want to start talking about January the 6th. January the 6th is a day that will live in infamy, January 6th, 2021. It's the day that the Capitol was stormed, the United States Capitol was stormed. First time that has happened, I think, since 1812. I think, if I'm not mistaken, that's the first time the Capitol has been breached in over 100 years. 